technology, innovation, designing the future. If only a very small group of people are designing the future, we are looking at a very scary future. I think we have an opportunity to truly be innovative in how we build the infrastructure and the ecosystem that we or come from here we don't love. Boulder's one of the most connected startup communities in the world. Our size of it, it functions just insanely above its weight. Hey, Powder Keg fans, you're tuning into episode 61 of Powder Keg Igniting Startups, the show for entrepreneurs, leaders, and innovators building remarkable tech companies outside of Silicon Valley. I'm your host, Matt Hunkler, and today I'm excited to share with you some of the insights from our recent live show hosted in Denver, Colorado. In front of a packed house, we invited eight tech leaders from Denver, Boulder, and the entire Front Range in Colorado to discuss some of the data behind our recent tech census and to share some stories about building a tech company there. So in this episode, you're going to hear from the following amazing experts. First up is Paul Foley, co-founder and CEO at Smart Capital and the organizer of Colorado Startups. Next up, we have Lazelle Van Vuren, founder and CEO at Women Who Start Up. Next, we've got Kate Beardsley, Managing Director at Upslope Ventures. Then David Pritchard joins her on stage, uh, and he is the president of Tea Garden Financial Corp. Next up, we have an amazing discussion on the talent situation in Denver and Boulder, and that's led by Joe Thurman, the CEO at Jobber Group, and Craig Smith, the COO at Home Advisor. Next, we have Rachel Beisel, who is the CMO at Cable Labs, who talks about the partnership between corporations and startups. And finally, we have an amazing fireside chat with Tom Higley, who is a serial entrepreneur of several companies, including Service Metrics, which sold for $280 million to Exodus Communications back in 1999. He's had several other startups since then. He's currently the founder and CEO of 101010, and I can't wait for you to hear about it. This show is packed with insights on the local Denver and Boulder communities, as well as some lessons learned growing and scaling tech companies. Here we are live from Denver, Colorado. And so our first guest this evening is actually one of the people leading Colorado startups. And I want to read his bio because I don't want to miss anything. It's a very storied bio, and you'll see me do this tonight because uh, we, we, really, we really wanted to put it together. And so when you hear me call out each of these bios, these are Denver and Boulder's own, so please clap it up, hoot and holler, give high fives if you want to. Um, our first presenter tonight is a Colorado native and a huge tech startup enthusiast, heavily involved with Colorado startups. He founded and sold his own tech startup, Augur, to BounceX, and has since turned his attention to investing in venture capital, something, as you saw in the video, very important here in the community. He runs an angel group, Connector Capital, and is actively working on a firm to allow anyone to invest a portfolio uh, in a portfolio of early stage tech companies. Please welcome the co-founder and CEO of Smart Capital, Paul Foley. All right, so uh, in each of these talks, I really want to kind of dive into, um, first and foremost, the personal story. So you're Colorado native. Mm-hmm. When did you actually get involved in the tech world here? So I actually uh, went to a fellow Big Ten school, uh, Michigan. So I was born in Boulder. I uh, grew up in Louisville, Colorado, in between Boulder and Denver. 
and then went to <clears throat> University of Michigan uh, for an engineering degree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, moved to Austin, Texas, um, and then I worked for a large corporation called Deloitte. I did not like it. I, <laughs> yeah. I left too quickly. I left after seven months. I was the first one to leave my class, and then another Colorado native, uh, Christine, left like uh, two weeks after. So the two Colorado people were out. Uh, and then um, I joined an early stage startup, and then I started doing consulting for fast-growing startups. I got really lucky. My first client was Solfire in Boulder, which was a extremely fast-growing company. I learned a ton. What year was that? Uh, that was 2013. Okay, what was the tech community like in Boulder in 2013? So, uh, it was budding. I would say you had Techstars that founded in 2007. So, Techstars had done a really good job kind of uniting the community. You obviously had Foundry with Brad Feld and Jason Mendelson, Ryan, um, Seth, and then you, it, it felt like Boulder specifically had a lot of older entrepreneurs that were more well-established. Um, that had more resources to start a company in terms of connections and knowledge. Uh, the younger entrepreneur scene was just starting to bud. I remember um, when I was doing my consulting company, I, there was this interesting guy named Jeb Nicolason who was starting this funny clothing company called Shinesy. Um They were selling it out of his uh, garage. They were storing. Do you know what Shinesy is? I'm not, I've heard of it, but I'm not familiar. Can you give me like the 30 second elevator pitch? It's like a, it's, Kind of wacky clothing. Um, oh, it's like a five second elevator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to it. They're doing well. I think they're on track for like a ten million dollars revenue or something. Wow. That. So, um, but they. It was just like we. I remember there's only a handful of us that were just starting companies, and we worked out of his um, house. And we called it the wacky workspace, co-working space. So that was like the the whole days. Um, started doing uh, consulting, and then I met my two co-founders for Augur. Um, they had actually gone through Techstars, and so I joined on as a co-founder. Um, we ended up selling it around two years later, two and a half years later. Congrats. Thank you. And then um, we raised from investors in Montreal and Toronto. When we pitched uh, the Techstars follow-on fund and Foundry Access, um, they were all very polite, but it just wasn't for them. And so that was one of those things that um, it became kind of clear there wasn't kind of the same level of capital uh, in Colorado that there was in the Valley or in New York. So um, I was actually con contemplating whether to move out there or to start something that would allow uh, more venture capital here in Colorado. Because that was the, the only complaint I had of the entire community was there was tons of entrepreneurs here, tons of smart people, but the capital. So um, there's, there's angel groups, there's accelerators, uh, there's now a lot of micro VCs that have popped up uh, for seed stage, but Later stage capital, I think your report actually shows that. Yep. Um, there's not as much here, so for me it was kind of like, how do we get larger funds here? Yeah. So, so in, in terms of attracting that capital, uh, what do you think is the next best step for that? This isn't necessarily the capital discussion section, but <laughs> it sounds like you might have some opinions on that. Um, so. To uh, Foundry and Techstars' credit, they've done such a good job that I don't think anyone would want to compete against them. Um, and that's almost like a detriment. So two things happened. Foundry decided not to bring on any kind of associates, um, which I get why, but also at the same time, what you see in the Valley is someone joins a fund, they get trained, and then they go spin off their own fund. Same thing in New York. 
Uh, Foundry never did that. Uh, Techstar, same thing. Um, they don't really, they added Nicole, which is great, but they don't really breed the next level of, of VCs. And they're just really great people. They are extremely nice, community first, give first. And so I think a, a lot of people try to not necessarily um, compete in that area. So I think you're, you, wait, if you've looked at venture capital in Colorado, the amount of micro VC funds that have popped up in the last year or two that have ambitions to be much larger funds, um, you're, you're looking at around 20. So uh, from last time I counted. So the, I think Denver specifically, because of the growth, you're going to start seeing a lot more VCs pop up. And you also have a lot of entrepreneurs that would want to move here if there was capital. So the other thing, too, I've been finding is uh, entrepreneurs will move here for a year or two. They'll say, this is awesome, but there's not that access. Or I would move here if there was more access to capital. And I think what you'll see is capital starting to draw here. So um, whether it's the RBC fund or whether it's uh, Zero G, I'm not sure if they're here. But um, you're going to see put out the call. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, I'd love to bring another perspective up to join us. Yes, if you're down with it. Absolutely. All right, cool. But she's a self, self-proclaimed uh, tech addict, launching global, global, brand, um, global brands and building companies, passionate about shining a spotlight on women founders, uh, is a founder, CEO, and president of Women Who Start Up. Please welcome on stage, Lazelle Van Vieren. Lazelle, I'm Paul, you have to share a mic because there are two mics. <laughs> this is community yes. happening right now. Uh, Rizal, can you tell us a little bit about women who started up and why you started it? Sure. Hi. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Rizal, uh, founder of Women Who Start Up. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've been in technology since I was 19 here in Colorado. So that's almost 18, what, 16, 17 years of being in our incredible economy, whether enterprise, technology, startups, you name it. Women who start up, um, I love that you asked him earlier, what was happening in 2013 in Denver? Women who start up started. So, <laughs> you know why? Because there was no women in the room. Um, so 2013 was an interesting year in our economy, and our community. It was the second year of Denver Startup Week. People were just starting to feel this big cast this big net that was being casted to say, listen, we are a very innovative, technology-oriented, business-loving, if you see a gap in the market, innovate people, start something, launch something, ship something, hire great people to do it with. Uh, But we didn't have any money. So that is still a challenge. But Community Startup is basically a learning platform for early-stage entrepreneurs who are figuring out their very first idea and how to ship that puppy. Um, and we're catered to sharing and spotlighting women who are building their first, second, um, or actually multitude of, of companies. Um, so I believe in knowledge sharing through storytelling. Kind of like we're doing right now, we're sitting here, human connection, one of the oldest things uh, to humankind which is community, sharing, and learning through community. So Women Who Start Up has been an evolution of that, quite honestly, sharing stories of how people are building companies successfully and extracting knowledge from those people, their experiences, their how-tos, their what-nots, to, uh, et cetera. Um, so that's Women Who Start Up. What, 
So one of the things from the tech census that we found out in the report was that the number one social issue that the tech community, both in Denver and in Boulder, wanted to impact was the diversity and inclusion in the tech industry itself. Why do you think people are so passionate about it, and what do you think is the most important thing for the, these tech communities to do right now in order to further that, a more diverse and inclusive tech community? I like a diversity and inclusion question to be asked to someone that's not right. Well, but, it's gone over to Paul next. But, <laughs> but because I'm such a big advocate for diversity and inclusion, the challenge that we have, here's the good news. We live in one of the most inclusive economies, communities around, believe me. We don't have a very diverse community, however. So people get confused. They're like, well, what do you mean? We're inclusive, but what do you mean we're not very diverse yet? Okay. Look at this room. So we're still predominantly male. That's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Relax. Relax. But there is an opportunity for more women to know that they need to be in the room, for people of color, the essential importance for them to be in the room, the LGBTQ community, the importance for them to be in the room, people with disabilities to be in the room. When it comes to technology, innovation, designing the future, if only a very small group of people are designing the future, we are looking at a very scary future because we are not always equipped to consider all sorts of things that we don't inherently think about. Um, the way we operate in the world, the way we drive from home to work, the way that we think, read, watch movies, experience a mobile application, etc. The importance of diversity and inclusion is not to make any man in this room feel left out of the equation, it is an encouraging call to action, like I'm reaching out saying, dude, grab my hand and let's grab these people that aren't in the room tonight so that they come help us innovate, design the future, scale those ideas, get other opinions, feedback, uh, opinions, points of view, perspectives, education, background, you name it. And we can do really exciting things and I know that's a challenge, but it's individually our responsibility to do better about that. So I'm encouraged. We have a huge opportunity to still make sure that everyone knows not only that they are welcome in our technology community, in business, especially in leadership, but this economy, Colorado, has to start putting their money where their mouth is. We have to step up and put our money where our mouth is. 2017's data on venture capital, for example, less than 2% of all venture capital last year, less than 2% went to women. That means 0.2% went to women of color. This is not because 0.2% of women of color in the United States are trying to raise money, no. Of all of economies at scale, we have to invigorate, we have to get excited about making sure that people are in the room. And that takes community builders to do the hard rolling of rocks up mountains, to get the word out, to cast the net, to make, make sure people are in the room. And we have a lot of work to do. 
I have a feeling we're going to come back to this being throughout the evening. Okay. <laughs> uh, but we have So my, my last question to you is your biggest hope for the Denver and Boulder communities in like 10 seconds or less. More venture capital. More money, more money, more money. Unanimous. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Let's give it up for yes. Uh, great way to kick this off. All right, the energy is wonderful here. I love this community. Uh, our next presenter that I'm going to bring to the stage, we're just going to continue to talk on capital. Uh, our next, our next guest is uh, going to be discussing capital, and we're very excited to bring her up to the stage. She uh, helped establish, build, and manage three funds, and over 200 plus investments in New York City as director of operations uh, in four years. She launched her career at Martha Stewart Living Omnimedia Managing. Uh, special projects for Martha Stewart, and currently, she is a partner at Upslope Ventures, an early stage fund investing in technologies across the country. Please help me welcome up to the stage, Kate Beardsley. <laughs> Kate, thank you so much for being here with us tonight. You get your choice of chair. Hi guys. seeing this 
um, wave of investors start to populate New York City and realizing that as I was traveling around the country for you know different things that the same thing was happening in like Austin and you know Seattle and I come out here to go skiing and I was like, huh, Denver's exploding and you know I, I just and of course there's Boulder, right? Versus so that's that's also a draw. Um, so I had this assumption that you could start investing in other places besides San Francisco and New York. So that was my interest for like joining up with Galvanize and investing in this market. And, and so now you're at Upslope. Same fund as Galvanize. Sorry for the name change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and slightly more than half of Denver, and this is according to the Tech Census report, slightly more than half of Denver founders and 65% of Boulder founders said that they struggled to raise capital here locally. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's a common theme, not just in Denver and Boulder, uh, but it's still a struggle here. Um, what do you think needs to happen on, do you think that what needs to happen is on the venture side, or do you think it's just the deal flow is not? No, definitely venture. Um, it's our fault. There's very little early stage seed capital here. You know, like the behemoths and the awesome groups like Foundry have done such a good job of establishing a brand name for technology in Colorado. And I think one of the cool things that our market has over other smaller cities is that we're actually a technologically forward environment. Um, Slack's moving here, we got Facebook and Google, and you know, they, that's not accidental. Um, and you have people moving here for lifestyle reasons. So, it, like, all of it's working, um, and it's certainly sort of spinning in the right way, but there is a huge absence of real estate capital. I'm part of the problem. Like, I don't have active money right now to invest in companies, which drives me nuts every day. Um, I have to go out and raise another fund to do that, but no one's going to give a pregnant woman money. Have a kid on the so, <laughs> Just saying, um, you should do it. I know, it's like, I should go and film this, and then maybe that would get me more money from Anyway. Um, got some videographers here. <laughs> but great funds, you know, like South Street that you know, you're working with, um, they're trying to be part of that conversation too. And so I think there's certainly people who get it and are trying to remedy it. But you know, Foundry's gone upstream, right? So they used to be a really great indicator of, oh, if Foundry's leaving my seed round, then that means I have local support. And the, the trick with seed, I shouldn't say it's a trick, because it's, it's pretty obvious, but it's seed investing is emotional and local. So, you know, if you've got, say, like we talked about Shiny Seed for a minute ago, like that was a deal I looked at, I loved it, because it was hilarious. Um, but, you know, like, does that really, you know, like materialize over time, and they've done a great job. But that was something where all the local investors saw that deal because he was here, you know, and, and that's kind of how it works. And you also have to kind of pull on that um, emotional string a little bit because it's not so far removed from angel investing. So we just, we have lack of firms that are certainly willing to lead and certainly willing to put in substantial amount of capital that sends a signal to other investors that are maybe smaller that they can fall on. Because that's the thing with seed is that you're probably all seeing this now is you can close around, but you're setting the terms or you've gone through tech stars and you're using the star power note. And it's all great, you can get it done. It's just a lot harder. It's so much, you get the wind in your sails if that group sits there and says, oh, like I got a term sheet from Upslope and then that means something kind of thing. Well, I'd love to bring another investor up uh, on stage with this, uh, add to the conversation. 
Uh, I'm going to do the abbreviated version because I want to save time for it for the combo. Uh, serial entrepreneur himself, uh, co-founder of Lazy Bee Ranch uh, Honey, uh, which is on all the Whole Foods shelves. He's now the president of Tea Garden Financial Corporation. Please help me welcome onto the stage, David Pritchard. David and Kate, I'm asking you to share our mic because we've got right. um, David, can you talk to me a little bit about uh, your perspective of, of what you're seeing out here in terms of deal flow and what needs to happen in the capital markets? Anything uh, you want to add that Kate's perspective should just share? Yeah, no, I, I think Kate touched on a lot of it. Yep. Um, in, I would echo, I agree that it's largely on the venture side and just awareness and driving more capital out. But on the other side, you know, from a proactive standpoint as far as the entrepreneurs and I think being aware of where they'll reach the capital in what they need to get there um, is powerful because you see a lot of companies kind of get stuck in this, keep going out for these small little raises, keep trying to move the ball along a little bit. And I think if there was a little more awareness around, you know, rather than trying to do this $300,000 thing four times before I get to you know, my Series A or whatever, it's like, no, this is what I need to get there to get the institutional money or venture or whoever in the deal. And all right, now how do I get that? Get it out of the way and go ahead. It's done quickly. Yeah. Um, well, I want to share just a little bit of metrics from the Tech Census report. Uh, only 9% of startups uh, surveyed uh, identified as like B2C companies. Uh, we had 26%. Um, Boulder had Boulder had three times as many startups, so twenty six percent were B two C. In terms of like sort of like the mix, not only just B two B and B two C, what industries do you see like really kind of taking off here, um, or do you think it's just sort of Denver Boulder is great for any and all startups? I mean both. I'd be curious to see you know what you have to say about it, but uh, you know I mean we have a lot of activity in both areas, and I actually thought it was really interesting. Like it was like three times as much. Uh, B2C activity in Boulder is Denver, and that was a head scratcher for me a little bit. But uh, I almost thought it was more maybe a cultural thing. You know, if you think about sort of the culture in Boulder um, and the, the founder and the entrepreneur in that space and, and what they're concerned about, I have a feeling that there's probably a lot less of them that are uh, is worried about making a, a company more efficient and more concerned about you know how do we help that you know that consumer, that individual, or impact their life or you know fill the blanks. That's about the only thing I can come up with. Yeah, you're totally right. It's um, it's food startups. You know, we got a ton of food startups. Yeah, I mean, it's it, we have. What are some examples here in in the Denver Boulder area? Um, gosh, so many. I'm, I'm just thinking of like Whole Foods file. Just like most of the Whole Foods. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah. you kind of like think of it, right? It's something that is super popular right now. Is like anything to do with superfoods, right? So there's teas and. Bakhti Chai is there. Um, so there's teacup. Yeah, teacup. Um, Justin peanut butter. Like I mean, there's. It's funny. Like if you look at if you're any of you looking for jobs and you troll Luke's circle, it's like there's always like two food companies that are hiring every day. Like on that list, you know, like, it's just it, it is how it is. Um, and it's great because that's attracting a certain type of entrepreneur that wants to then go be around those other entrepreneurs. Um, and so it's, it's also cool to see like O'Shaughnessy in Boulder because, you know, that's a different kind of consumer company. And then we're seeing, like we have Artifact Uprising here in Denver. Um, and so I think we're starting to see more 
Like there's a new company called Fulton um, that's just starting in Denver and that's in the clothing space. And so that's something that New York is certainly known for and like my old portfolios, all the e-commerce stuff, but yeah, Denver and Boulder, I think like we could pick it up in that area for sure. But I mean, I have two hardware companies in my portfolio, Ratio and Notion, and like they manufactured locally that helped them get their start. They didn't have to go to Shenzhen right away, you know, so there's, I think, a lot of opportunity. Um, we love SaaS, we love, you know, things to do with telecom here. So it's, you sort of think of, like, what you can do with the other industries that are here and the experts that are here and kind of build off of that for sure. Well, I appreciate you both for uh, sharing your perspective on the investment side. I, my last question for each of you is, uh, in 10 seconds or less, uh, give, give first was not surprisingly one of the core values most highly rated in the tech census uh, report. Uh, how do you embody Give First in your day to day as an investor, or does Give First apply to investors? Yeah, I think it definitely applies. It's always, I always like to use an analogy of sort of, you know, we're always trying to pull up, right? Whether it's building our portfolio and our investment success, but at the same time, we're going to be pulling people along with us and not overdevelop one arm versus the other, right? And I think one of the things I love about Colorado is I feel like culturally there's a pretty good balance there. Like people inherently, um, the, the typical idea about a venture capitalist or you know some guy with money doesn't isn't your typical you know money source here in Colorado. They'll make an effort to help. Totally agree, and I think that's one of the attractions for entrepreneurs wanting to build their companies here is just that sense of people will take meetings with you and have coffee with you. They don't need anything in return. They're just trying to kind of they want to see someone else here, you know, trying to do the same thing. Uh, you know, it's funny in early to 2008 through 2010, New York felt like that from the tech perspective because there was no one else doing it there. So we were kind of huddled around each other and all. You know, there was like four offices that you could go to that were totally open and you could get to talk to Fred Wilson regularly and those people had their doors open because it was such a small, close-knit community and everyone was growing in the same direction for the success of that community and we still have that here. Um, New York is tougher now because there's just too many players and it's, it's a level of access and that's what San Francisco feels like if you're not in it. So I think that, I hope that we have the give first mentality the whole time if this ends up becoming another like awesome, huge tech community, so. It's a great wish for the community. Well, Kate, David, thank you both so much for sharing your perspective on the capital front. All right, we're gonna keep things rolling. Uh, next up, Probably needs no introduction because he's introduced me to half of this uh, tech community uh, here in town. He is the, the founder and CEO of Jobber Group, uh, amazing uh, tech talent placement agency. They're using their own technology. Uh, I absolutely love how they're helping match companies with the right talent at the right time. Uh, please help me welcome to the stage the CEO of Jobber, uh, Mr. Joe Joe? Yeah. Hey, can you talk to me about talent a little bit? Just broadly? <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask a more pointed question. <laughs> talk to me about the biggest struggle you see happening. Like, where is Denver heading right now 
in, in terms of the talent gap? Do you feel like it, it's getting smaller or do you think it's actually getting wider as things heat up and, and more and more tech companies are coming here, more and more talent is coming here? Uh, which one's outpacing the other? Are things going to get worse before they get better? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely getting, getting wider, right? I mean, across the board. I mean, everyone, we've heard for years, automation is going to change everything. You're going to need less people, et cetera, et cetera. And the opposite is what has happened, right? Companies have figured out that if I can do 100% of what we accomplished today with 50% of the resources, then imagine what I can do with four times the number of resources, right? So everyone wants to scale. Everyone needs highly intellectual you know, individuals who are problem solvers who are also technical, and so it's it's going to be a gap that um, everyone faces, including Colorado. So the the stat that I wanted to get your perspective on is that ninety four percent of the tech census respondents enjoy their careers here in Denver uh, more than any other tech census we've done in any other market today. Uh, what's in the water here in Denver and Boulder? That's or is it just the caliber of companies? What, what is, what's, what's going on here? I think people. Ninety-four percent seems ridiculous. We do have great waters. Now I think it's just uh, from the top down. We're a lifestyle city, right? The leaders of these organizations are here because they love the lifestyle that it offers, and that flows down, right? And so it's. It's not, you don't hear the stories of like in Silicon Valley, guys who sleep on top of each other in beds, you know, trying to, in bunk beds, trying to build companies and they're in warehouses. And I hear these stories to this day, right? That doesn't really happen here. I mean, you'll go mountain biking and you'll do other things to kind of clear your head here in Colorado. And so that balance is really what I think people have fallen in love with. And it flows from the top down, regardless of the, the size of the company. And that makes, I think that's why companies are here. We always talk about, we look at San Francisco, but how can we do it a little bit better than, than they did. It seems like you're doing a little bit better. It's, it's, it's better. I like the, the data says you're doing a little better. Yeah. Um, I'd love to bring up uh, one of your friends, uh, Great friend. uh, collaborators. Well, do you want to do the introduction? Sure. Craig Smith, <laughs> uh, president of uh, Home Advisor, president and CEO of Home Advisor. Craig Smith, uh, CEO of Home Advisor, uh, which recently acquired Aging Home Services based out of Indianapolis. So we're now on the same floor as Home Advisor in Indianapolis, there on Mass Ave. Um, and it's really cool to just see uh, how Home Advisor is growing. You've been with the company 20 years. Not quite 20, don't get ahead of yourself. It's, okay. uh, 19, the company's been around for 20. Oh, uh, I've been for 19. You've been there for 19. <laughs> All right, so sorry to exaggerate there. Don't get too fast. Uh, Craig, what are you seeing on the ground at Home Advisor in, in terms of uh, the need for talent, uh, the roles that you have? Like, do you know how many open roles you have right now? I don't want to admit it, but we have about a hundred. Yeah, uh, we have a lot of open roles, and it's been a, a real challenge, actually. Um, I think the ecosystem overall has evolved in a very meaningful, interesting way over just the last five years. Because you know, when we were recruiting talent uh, five, six, seven years ago, it was really hard to get somebody to come here and take a risk. Uh, and to move from one of the coasts because if the gig with Home Advisor didn't work out, uh, they didn't see many other opportunities. And um, that's clearly not the case anymore. There's so many different options if somebody were to move here that if it didn't work out with Home Advisor, you can end up with a you know, big, mature public company to early stage startup to mid stage company. And so there's such a tremendous amount of 
both support and you know career opportunities outside of that, that um, that risk is not really a problem anymore for us. Well, one of the things that uh, Texas has pointed out was that uh, the majority of respondents had annual expenses of less than $80,000 in both Denver and Boulder. So like, even though the lifestyle is great, the cost of living seems to still be lower than you might expect in, in, a, in a market. Are you using that to your advantage to recruit talent from the coasts or outside of the Denver Boulder area? We used to. That used to be kind of the sole way we would recruit. Really? Because look, you know, your mind's going to go a lot further, um, but that gap is closing very, very quickly. Yeah. You know, we were looking um, at doing some benchmarking against Chicago just today, and you know, our cost of living, our salaries, everything are very much in line with the Chicago market at this point. So um, I think that gap is narrowing very quickly, and we'll need to differentiate in different ways. And part of that is the strength of the community that we do have, the support of the community that we do have, which is, I think, unrivaled. It's phenomenal. Um, I also think the lifestyle is incredible. We clearly sell that. Uh, but that's just a known and constant. Um, but there are so many opportunities for people to move to different, interesting, uh, creative, fun companies that uh, that's the selling point of the Denver Boulder market, I think, at this point. Is it is, you know, at every stage, there are very interesting companies doing interesting things and a lot of opportunity to move between those. Uh, one of the topics that came up earlier is building diverse and inclusive communities. Uh, but as we all hopefully know uh, from the researchers out there, building diverse and inclusive teams uh, is something that's not just good to do as a human in, in a leadership position, it's actually good for business. Um, research report after research report shows that you know, when you have teams that are closer to 50-50, men and women, there are uh, better ideas being thrown about. When you've got people from different backgrounds, whether it's ethnicity or socioeconomic status, um, or disability, that brings different perspectives and can help innovate faster. Are, are there ways that you've seen that kind of come to life at Home Advisor in your time there? We've, we've made a lot of progress. Uh, I think we have a long way to go, um, and there's a lot of work to be done on that front. But I do agree with everything you said. When you have the diverse culture, you get better ideas, better input, better perspective, um, and you know, better output. Uh, it's, it's the way to go, certainly. Um, but there's a lot of work to be done for us to, to close that gap. Uh, Joe, what are just, like, some of the things that you're seeing with the teams that you're working on in terms of uh, helping build more diverse teams? Uh, is that something you're coaching and consulting on currently? Yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, like we say, inclusion, we always say inclusion and diversity, right? Um, and part of the problem, we do have to have, we have a pipeline problem here in Colorado with diverse talent, right? I mean, we talked about that earlier today, but um, you know, I, I do think that all companies are open to that, right? And it is a very inclusive environment here. Um, we talked about how much, even just from an entrepreneur perspective, anyone will take meetings. And that's, you know, Craig is a great friend because he believed in us when we were a small company, right? He pushed us to do things that we couldn't do, that we didn't think we could do. Um, and we told him in meetings, that's not what we do. And he said, I don't think you can do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, but that, drives down through employees and everything. And so I think it's just, it's gonna take time, right? And Galvin, the galvanizes of the world, um, the colleges, they're working on it, but it's just gonna take time. You know, we're trying to solve it at the end with companies saying hire more diverse people and all these different things, but you have to solve the front of the pipeline before you can do the end. And so it's, it's just, it's a time thing. I mean, I wish there was a silver bullet, but there's, there's not. I, I, it's the one thing I was going to add that I think has uh, really helped propel us just in the last two years 
is we've adopted a pretty strong um, internship and apprenticeship program and have engaged with the local schools and with the local community uh, to at least shed a light on what's possible for a lot of the students. We do, I think as a state, a good job of attracting talent from outside. We don't do a good job of inspiring local talent to get into technology. Uh, and I think it's our responsibility to do a better job of that. And we've started to embrace that. We've started working with other public schools, with other um, people in the community career-wise, uh, and others with apprenticeships and internships. And I think we need to do a lot more collectively, and we need to do a lot more as AG Home Services. Uh, That's really exciting. And uh, just as a history lesson, I, the whole reason I didn't move to the coasts out of college is because AG Home Services had a program in Indianapolis called the Boar Fellowship Program that convinced me to go work for a high-growth tech company in Indiana. It kept me there for two years, enough to build my seed network there, and I've literally been there ever since. And so it's really cool uh, to see Angie's Home Services continue to hire Boar Fellows, and some of the ones now that are in leadership positions were, you know, that class or two above me back in the day, so it's, it's really cool to see that. Um, and in terms of what you want to see next uh, for Denver and Boulder Tech community, what's your greatest wish? Um, yeah, I just like to see the momentum continue. Uh, you know, I think we just have incredible momentum, uh, so many great things going on. Obviously, <clears throat> there's a gap in funding, you know, I clearly would love to help solve that, but, you know, the amounts of mentorship opportunities that exist, the, you know, full life cycle of early stage to mid stage to, you know, public IPOs that have come out of the market recently, uh, there's a great support infrastructure in place. And so I think we need to just continue to make the best of that, continue the great momentum that we have, and let's find some money. Uh, <laughs> let's find some money. I like it. Joe, how about you? Uh, yeah, I'd say uh, being extremely innovative and creative in the ecosystem that we're building, right? I mean, we talk to people in the Bay all of the time, and, and it's just, it's outpaced, the, the lifestyle's gone away. Right, and so I think we have an opportunity to truly be innovative in how do we build an infrastructure and the ecosystem that doesn't um, become something that we don't love, right? I mean, we have to protect certain areas, we have to protect, I mean, wages are gonna change, right? Software engineers are not gonna continue to make the same thing they make now, general software engineers. In, in several years, it's going to change, and so I just think that we have to figure out something. I'd love to see innovation across the board or from an ecosystem perspective. How can you have rapid growth, fast growth, innovation, more money, and balance that with you can live where you work as, a, as an individual. So maybe that's a, a pie-in-the-sky dream, but I'd love us to figure that out. I'd love for us to figure that out. I think it's possible. Let's give it up for Joe and Craig. Thank you so much. All right, we're gonna keep things rolling. We're, we're running about 10 minutes behind, um, but we have uh, two more great speakers. Before I go on to the next speaker, though, I do wanna give a huge shout out to my alma mater, Kelly School of Business, also yours as well. Uh, so Kelly School of Business has been immensely helpful with the tech census. We have a couple of their PhDs uh, who have been helping us with crunching the data, uh, doing some of the data science behind what, what we're doing here at Powderhead with the tech census. Um, they really believe in investing in tech communities, not just in Indiana, but uh, across the country. And so they're a national partner on the talent side of things. Uh, they're very passionate about continuing education and being innovative in their approach uh, about doing that. Uh, so not just your traditional course uh, set in lecture sort of classes, which is what it was when I went there. So next up, 
Uh, we have someone that I'm very eager to talk to because uh, she's got an immense uh, perspective on working with uh, big, big companies. So uh, she's worked uh, in culture, sales, marketing, culture development, in growing startups, uh, all the way to Fortune 500 brands. She's an experienced leader and practitioner who has served a diverse profile of companies, both at agencies and businesses. Please help me welcome the SVP and Chief Marketing Officer of Cable Labs, Ms. Rachel Beecher. that you could join us tonight. Because, Me too. Because uh, I, I think one of the things that Denver really has going for it is all these big corporations, the collaboration happening between the big corporations and the startups. Um, so I want to get your perspective on what are some of the companies uh, here in the Denver and Boulder area that are those bigger companies that work well with startups? Um, well, work well with startups. I guess that's relative. It is but, relative. Um, I'm, I'm <laughs> intentionally letting you choose the why they work well with startups. Um, okay, well, so I work for um, probably the most hated industry in the world, uh, cable companies. However, if you look around the wall, Xfinity is the reason why we're here, and I know we have some charter folks in the audience, but um, so it, it's, I think what we say the fastest way to kill a startup is to try to sell it to the cable industry. Um, however, I don't believe that that's so true anymore. There's actually a lot of capital. That's how I think large companies are able to innovate because it gets increasingly more difficult to be able to innovate a large company when you have bureaucracy and um, regulation. There's a lot of challenges that are, are presented there. So they often say they innovate when they're really iterating. So they have to leverage the startup community. So one of the things I know that Cable Labs has done is um, trying to bridge that gap and make it a little bit easier because we're only 200 people, yet we're building technologies that impact half a billion people every day. So one of the ways in which we do that is we've started a, a program called UpRamp that's actually a marketplace that connects startup communities with um, our cable companies. And instead of, I've heard of a constant um, drumbeat here around uh, lack of capital. Um, but what we guarantee are deals. Um, so you're actually going to get a proof of concept, a letter of intent, some type of sale um, instead of $17,000 seed round or something like that to run your company. You're actually going to get a million-dollar deal in three and a half months because the sales cycle in cable can be seven and a half years. Um, so it's it's something that we're doing that's trying to innovate and break the mold, at least within our um, industry. Uh how do you do that? So how do you take? How how are you taking a seven and a half year sales cycle and getting it down to three months? What, what are some of the things that you had know, to kind of maybe coach some of these larger enterprises to do in order to get to a pace that actually would work well with an innovative startup or tech company? Uh, a lot of it's well, we have heard community a lot tonight, and that is definitely one. I think in Denver and Boulder, it's unique in that you can have access to CEOs of companies. Um, and they'll, they'll gladly have a coffee with you, I think, in these larger enterprises. That's one of the things that, that we had to do was actually, we already had the relationships, but we knew that we needed the other side of that marketplace to be able to actually exponentially help our companies that at least are in our marketplace. So that was uh, something that we had the access. All we had to do was 
bridge that. So we had to make those connections. And I think one of the other things that when you don't have access to a lot of capital is that you have to actually generate an immense amount of value. Um, and you have to show real sales off the bat. So you actually have to have something that people really want to buy. It's not an idea that you're selling. It's an actual product that creates value. In, in terms of uh, the customers that a lot of the startups have here, you're talking about getting more pilots to, to companies. It seems like it might be working because the tech census found that in Denver, uh, the number one customer size is more than 1,000 employees. Uh, for a Denver company or a Denver startup, and for a Boulder startup, that was number two source, so a close second uh, as well. In, in terms of uh, having a large enterprise as a customer, as a startup, what is your advice to a startup looking to maybe work with a big enterprise? Oh, patience. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what, if, what if you're fresh out of that? Uh, yeah, if, you, if you're if you're out of patience, uh, <laughs> runway. But um, yeah, so it's it's definitely, um, I think having enterprises, they're trying to solve such complex issues um, that like say you have a customer experience problem. Um, really honing in on what part of that might be in that particular customer journey that you can actually solve. So that's just one particular example that you don't have to solve the entire problem, but this one piece is going to impact the bottom line exponentially in some way. So I think that's something that it's easier for an enterprise to potentially buy into that or even acquire that company um, or acquire or whatever that might be to get them to actually solve some of those problems. So that's beyond the patience side. Have you seen any of these uh, larger enterprises uh, kind of learn from startups and the way that the startups move quickly and disrupt themselves and iterate, uh, which maybe aren't always the hallmarks of Fortune 500 companies? <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, Obviously, Eric Reese, with, uh, we actually hired him to come speak to a lot of our CEOs that are a part of our organization. So um, talking about like, agile development and lean startup, I know when I was previously at another Fortune 500, um, which took seven months to get my computer out of procurement, um, <laughs> but it was uh, we were actually going to large companies like Amex um, and talking about Agile development principles, and that's actually why they ended up acquiring my previous um, company that I was a part of, because that was something that we specialized in that helped them move more quickly. So um, they innovated by uh, buying us, essentially, but that was something that uh, we saw is huge, and then trying to figure out that they need to do something differently. I think the average tenure of a company on the Fortune 500 is now 13 years, which used to be greater than 50 years on the Fortune 500, so clearly there needs to be something that they have to figure out how to do more quickly. A little bit of a downward trend. Yeah. Uh, what, what's your greatest hope for this community of enterprises and startups? Uh, and, and that can really get into your work at Google Labs, too. Um, actually, it's more geographical. We talk about inclusivity, and I now live in Colorado Springs. I don't actually live in Boulder and Denver anymore. Um, so don't forget that we also have a community that goes from Fort Collins, Loveland, Boulder, Denver, uh, Colorado Springs. I even went on that mountain bike today, uh, mountain bike ride today, and I ran into somebody who said that they are going to be working at a company in Larkspur. If you're familiar with Colorado, that's a curve in the road. Um, and there was a company there that has that got a $10 million deal, and they're about to go work at that particular company. So next time you do the census, maybe we should get from Fort Collins all the way down. But I'm actually a Nashville native, too, so... And there you go. Maybe you can come up in two weeks 
Uh, and I'll be in Colorado Springs tomorrow, so. I got people you need to meet. All right, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much, Rachel. I really appreciate you sharing some of your perspective. And uh, hopefully next year we can bring you back talking about the entire Front Range Tech Census. Yes. Let's give it up for All right, we are down to our last presenter, and I'm, I'm so, so excited for this conversation uh, with serial entrepreneur. He's been enormously helpful uh, with the tech census, and so I'm eager to bring him up to the stage. Uh, but I first want to give a shout out to one other organization uh, who couldn't be here tonight. They normally travel with us to each of these tech census uh, releases that we do, uh, but that company is M Accounting. And these guys have worked with just about every major tech company in the Indiana area. Uh, they're now expanding with us into areas like Nashville, Memphis, Chattanooga, uh, Cincinnati. They're here in Denver and Boulder as well, working with tech companies. And the thing I like about them is that they actually use tech. So now, uh, using M Accounting as we've built and raised our round of capital, used their financial models, uh, everything that we do from expensing things to uh, sending invoices is all automated into one like perfectly integrated system. Uh, so really appreciate these guys, and I hope we get the chance to meet them soon. So just want to give them a huge shout out. All right. Yeah, let's give let's give them a kind of This is a bio I do not want to botch because he is so interesting as you're about to find out. Uh, he's been immersed in the Denver and Boulder tech community for several years, uh, and his focus is really on helping entrepreneurs and large organizations deliver innovative products to the market. His current program, 10-10-10, is 10 wicked problems with significant market opportunity. Um, and then 10 CEOs from around the United States, each looking for their next big thing. And 10 days together in a startup community. It's a startup community like Denver, they're in communities like Nashville. Uh, please help me welcome the founder of 10-10-10, Tom Higley. Tom. You are, you have quite an amazing story. <laughs> you, you are, uh, you are not old. You are like one of the youngest people I've ever met. Uh, when I first met you, I couldn't, I couldn't keep up with your pace of ideas and thoughts, uh, and it was really exciting. And so I, I want to, I hope we can recreate some of that magic here. Um, I think some of what sparked it was me asking you about your, your story and how, how you got to Boulder and then how you eventually got to Denver. Uh, what, what brought you first to this front range area? Uh, law school. Uh, yeah. Uh, this, this works better. <laughs> Maybe you know. I, I got the dead battery going now. Okay. So, so uh, law school brought me here, uh, ironically. I came out of practice. Um, I got here in 89, uh, practiced at Holland and Hart, um, but lived at Fort Collins, and, and so commuted every single day from Fort Collins to Denver. Um, that gets old, it'll make you older faster, it did. Um, and uh, eventually practiced up there instead, um, and eventually, as you probably know, I decided that rather than practicing law, I would really rather start companies. <laughs> Mind if I come sit next to you? Oh, no, would you? Then, then we can share the <laughs> <a> mic. <laughs> would, would you? <laughs> I was hoping you would. A very intimate fireside chat here. Um, so you, you got into starting companies. Um, what was it about starting companies that caught your attention more than law school? 
so, so I think it's it's actually uh, more than practicing law. Uh, that that's really what it was. I I tell people that I was smitten earlier, even before law school. I bought an Apple Macintosh in '84. Uh, it was a crystal ball, and I knew it. I mean, I could see the future uh, when I bought that thing. So that that's a piece of the lore around all this. But the other piece of it is that I began to realize what it meant to practice law and 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 who you are and, and what you're not in that context. And, and I'll tell you that while there certainly are some attorneys that look at what's possible and try to help their clients pursue those things, it's also true that the profession as a whole isn't mainly about that. It's mainly about what happened that's bad uh, that we want to avoid. Uh, um, and how can we structure a deal uh, such that, that we don't get in serious trouble as we go forward. That's not what I wanted to do, but that's what I was doing. So, so for me, it was realizing this explosion of possibility that was beginning to happen. I mean, that, that was true for almost everything in tech, from uh, semiconductors through what happened with Microsoft and Apple, uh, but it, it was even more powerfully true when computer, computers began to be connected on the internet. Uh, when we saw the web come out, and I just couldn't sit on the sidelines. I, I helped create Fortnite up in Fort Collins. I was the, the kind of founder, uh, president, and first executive director of that thing. It was amazing. I, I couldn't stop. Uh, it, it was awesome. And I was still practicing law. But that was like this. And, and, and starting an, an internet service provider, that was like, wow, this is amazing. Um, so, so, you know, live in this or live in that, you know? <laughs> so tell, tell me about when you got to Boulder and what that community was like when you got there. What was the, what was the tech community like when you got there? So, <laughs> I, first off, I got to Boulder because I started my first tech company in Fort Collins, and at the time I did that, that was not a good time to start your first tech company in Fort Collins. <laughs> and Fort Collins is awesome, but it wasn't at that time awesome for tech companies. If you wanted a tech team in Fort Collins then, your tech team would have to come from HP. And, and you, could, you could grab people from HP only at great pain and pain almost never. <laughs> so things have changed, right? Uh, but but uh, so, so Boulder was extraordinary um, for a whole bunch of reasons, but here's the really big thing. Here's how I ended up in Boulder, really. Um, I was raising capital. Uh, I was out in Boston at Highland Capital Partners, and uh, they liked the deal that I was showing them they wanted to be in, and they said, we really need somebody that we trust in this deal. Do you know Brad Fell? Um, and I didn't. And, and no one did, really, in this area yet, because he just moved here. Um, and, and so Brad and I met in Fort Collins. He drove up, got in an accident on the way. He's a terrible driver. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he tell you that. So, so, so uh, we became friends. Uh, he was an advisor to that company. And I came to Boulder eventually because Brad was really in my deal and became a friend. And in fact, the next company that I started, the one that was most significant for me, I started because Brad Feld sent me a message that said, Tom, I know you're planning to start your next company. 
Uh, you should meet this friend. And this is an example of what you've been talking about tonight. This is the collaboration and connection and support. And this is what we do for one another. So, so th this was incredibly powerful. I met um, this extraordinary entrepreneur that Brad felt knew um, that Brad was going to hire to do something in his company and so couldn't run an, another company. And, but he wanted a CEO, um, and I was going to be that person, and I became that person. Now, now, the company was a draft business plan, and there was no capital, and there was no team, and there was no product, but, but I was excited anyway. And the young guy was 23 years old, and I was in my 40s. And that's the company that we built, and in the space of some 24 months, less than 24 months, we sold it for 280 million, and while we were locked up, it became you know north of a billion dollars, as not it? So you built it here. We built it in Boulder. <laughs> We did, and, and it was so fast, it was so quick, that, that you didn't see it. Because either you were too young or you blinked. <laughs> One or the other of those things. And I remember going to talk to someone at a bank in Boulder, a senior banking officer, he said, you're Tom Hingley? We had 12 millionaires that weren't millionaires before, just, uh, you know, because of what just happened here, we've never seen anything like this before. That's awesome. It was amazing. And Brad um, was... It stays in the ecosystem and reinvests. And, and the two co-founders I had, uh, Brad Fell, or um, uh, Neil Robertson and Raj Bhargava, they each started multiple companies since then. So yeah, it does stay in the ecosystem. Something in the water. Yeah, 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 I think there is. So, sounds like things were pretty good for you in Boulder. Why did you move to Denver? I love that question. Um, so, I love Boulder. Um, Boulder is one of the most connected startup communities in the world. Um, I, I mean that. For its size, uh, it, it functions just insanely above its weight. And in part, I think that's, uh, I'll share that, I think it's because Brad Fell brought his his Boston connections to Boulder, and he brought his Bay Area connections to Boulder and, and created a, a set of connections from Boulder to every other. Oh, and when he started Founder Group, um, the partners that he brought on, um, Brian and Seth and Jason, they got on planes. They, they didn't just do a regional uh, startup or a regional venture firm. They actually went out to meet the best, the best startups, the best investors. They traveled everywhere they worked really, really hard. So that's that's part of what happened. Um, that hasn't happened yet in Denver in the way that it can. So part of the reason I'm here is I have this extraordinary confidence that Denver can do in some ways what, what Brad was able to do and what Techstars was able to do and others were able to do in Boulder. Denver can be better connected than it is now. And, and to do that, Denver has to both reach out and, and go out and, and connect to other startup communities, entrepreneurs and investors, but it also has to bring folks in. And that's kind of what we do, <laughs> right? Case in point. Yeah, Case in the here you are. Yeah. Welcome, by the way. Yeah. And thanks for doing this. Well, thank uh, you for doing it. it. It really is an honor, and it's fascinating to learn about each of these tech communities. I think each one has something to offer and learn from. Uh, but there's certainly more opportunities. 
Um, certainly capital, that need has been heard loud and clear throughout this evening. Um, what's something that maybe we haven't talked about yet that you think is a growth opportunity uh, for Denver to really go after right now? So um, Denver has this magical influx of people. Uh, I tend to think of it as a as a magnet in a way for folks from the Midwest, for folks all over the place. Uh, and it has that magical thing that's that early stage of, of collaborative impulse that we saw in the Bay Area and in New York, we heard that from others. It has those things. Um, but, but for Denver to be uh, what it truly can be, it needs to recognize both, and then this is just like a start founder, by the way, it needs to recognize both its resources and capabilities, what it has that's, that are so extraordinary, and what it lacks. And, and it needs to go out and get the things that it lacks and leverage the things that it has. So, uh, you know, I've said this, it probably shows up on a quote someplace. Denver is one of the best places to live, learn, work, and play in the world. It's powerful. That's a thing to leverage. Our connectivity and our connection to one another, that's a thing to leverage. And, and, and that continues to grow in, in a really meaningful way, I think. But what we still lack uh, isn't just capital. We actually lack the evidence that we can deliver at size and at scale in the way that folks have been able to do on the coast. We, we want to deliver that here. Um, some friends of mine uh, that are, are really successful serial entrepreneurs talk about the bait ball. Uh, Andre Jordan says this, you know. It, it, it's like you don't want to be that bait ball that gets swallowed by a bigger fish. Because when that happens, those resources are then distributed to other places. We've kind of been that for years. We don't want to continue to be that. We want to be uh, a thing that's sustainable and that grows and that delivers value uh, locally and, and beyond. And we can do that. We can do that, I and mean, it's not just in one sector, it's in many. But to do that, we have to work pretty hard and we have to reach out. We have to bring folks like you in. So, and bring you out. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> let's do that. Um, before uh, before we end, Tom, I, I'd love it if you could just share a little bit about what you're doing at 10, 10, 10, um, and, and tell, tell folks here, uh, how you're looking to do these moonshot opportunities from the very ground floor. Yeah, so I, I love to talk about this, and what, what's so powerful about it for me is that it connects to a foundational problem. Um, two problems, really. Uh, the first of them for me is, is the notion that there are all kinds of really great serial entrepreneurs who, as great as they are and experienced and capable as they are, make really foolish decisions about the next thing they do. They don't have an established due diligence process. Uh, unlike financial investors who look at 1,200 deals to make 10 investments, you don't get to look at 1,200 opportunities, or, or even, for that matter, 120 opportunities. You, you're really in a do-it-yourself mode, so that's, that's one piece of this. So part of the deal is, what could we do that would help people like you and, and folks like you make a better decision about the next thing you do. And that's really founder due diligence and it's finding founder opportunity fit. So that, that's kind of the notion. 
The second thing, though, Moonshot like, is that uh, it's always bothered me that we have an extraordinary expenditure of time, talent, and resources focused on nonsense. I, I mean, we do dumb, dumb things. It's not just serial entrepreneurs that make foolish decisions. We, we invest our time, energy, resources, oftentimes in bullshit. Uh, and and that's, that's not what I want to see in the world. Uh, if there are wicked problems to be addressed that could be addressed by entrepreneurs and investors supporting them, by the community of folks that has the expertise required, why, why won't we begin to turn the attention of the entrepreneurial community uh, to things like this? So uh, housing and homelessness, for example, that's been on our agenda a few times. We haven't solved that problem yet. Mark Benioff is now paying attention to that in San Francisco in spades, right? Look, whoa! Uh, um, uh, maybe, it, maybe if the tech community in fact is a part of the problem in that we're bringing all kinds of people to the city, to the urban environment, or increasing the cost of living in that space, or actually helping to create this homelessness issue and problem, Maybe we also have a responsibility to begin to work out a sustainable solution to what that is. So that, uh, that's the aspiration, way beyond that. Health, water, food, energy, learning, infrastructure, waste, security, climate change. The program is about bringing 10 successful serial entrepreneurs together for 10 days to address those problems and engage with people who know more about them than those entrepreneurs ever can, and to make sure you have diverse perspectives about those things so you could really attack them. I'm really glad you're doing that, and I'm really glad you're here in Denver. Uh, thank you so much. Let's give it up. Uh, so grateful for Tom and all of our speakers. So grateful for all of you to join us here this evening. Um, I, I do want to give a huge shout out to Alden at Alchemy uh, New Media. He's here in the middle. He's been shooting video uh, all night. He came in from Kansas City. Uh, we've been recording interviews here in the other room. Uh, we've got a whole video series from here in the Denver Boulder community we want to share uh, far and wide through the Powder Keg Network, through any network that will share them, uh, because we want people to know how great it is to grow a tech company here. So thank you all very much uh, for being here. Uh, I'm going to quickly run through some of these. In the tech census, we had voting for best culture. There were some amazing companies that made it spots 10 through 4. Uh, number three was Cloud Elements. Number two was Meet Mindful. Number one just acquired Sendgrid. Uh, let's give it up for all the best culture companies. Next up, uh, we had most innovative uh, tech company. And number 10 through number four, some amazing companies, including, including Home Advisor. Uh, there's some stiff competition there. Uh, number three was Comcast. Number two, Amazon, and number one was Aero Electronics. So let's give that up for all those companies. Uh, oh, and Best Culture. Uh, we also had Best Cu Culture. Some amazing companies, number 10 through 4. Number three was Dojo 4. Number two, Boulder Bits. Boulder Bits. We'll pause for the ones that get a lot of applause. And number one, Techstars. Let's give it up for And then finally, most innovative. Uh, some amazing companies, number 10 through 4, you probably recognize these. Number 3 was NetApp. Number 2 was Amazon. 
Number one was Google. So let's give it up for all the companies here. We're going to put the uh, music back on here. We've got Thirsty Monk in the back. Uh, I want to make sure you know it's live now on powerkick.com. If you haven't gotten your free copy, you can download it there. Uh, thank you again to all of our partners who helped make this happen. We are so grateful to all these organizations, our other startups, Cluster Truck, Alchemy, Commons on Champa, Stout Street Capital, Emma County, Women Who Start Up, Rocky's Venture Club, Chopper Group, Downtown Denver Partnership, Boomtown, Cable Labs, and all the companies like Upright and Cryo, uh, or sorry, Cairo, Cairo? Curio. It's, it's Greek for connectivity. All right, Curio. We all something. It's Greek for connectivity. Galvanize, Thirsty Monk Sifted, 101010, which we just heard about, and the Kelly School of Business. Let's clap it up for the amazing That's it for today's show. I hope you're as excited as I am seeing the national tech landscape come together as we look at the tech census data. Every market is unique, and understanding their unique opportunities is key to creating a thriving national tech community and an amazing group of high-performing tech companies. Check out our past episodes on the Indianapolis and Cincinnati tech censuses for even more context. In a few weeks, we'll also share the results of our Tennessee tech census, which covers four cities. I can already tell you by looking at the early data, Tennessee's tech ecosystem is its own unique thing. Huge thanks for tuning in to episode 61 of Powder Keg Igniting Startups. Head on over to powderkeg.com to get all the links and all the people and resources mentioned in this episode. And to be among the first to hear the stories about entrepreneurs, investors, and other tech leaders outside of Silicon Valley, please subscribe to us on iTunes at powderkeg.com forward slash iTunes. See you next time on Powder Keg Igniting Startups.